Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host. Happy to be with you again, and thank you for uh, tuning in. It's a great pleasure to open the Bible together. And as we are uh, studying for the last couple of months on the topic of education, it's uh, good today to look at a very practical one, the Christians at work. And um, we are just... Uh, Following up with uh, education in arts and science, which we just uh, looked at uh, just the other week. And I would like to introduce the panel for today. And I would like to thank you, Marek, for joining us today. Look forward to our discussion. Also, thank you, Brenton, for joining. A pleasure. It's uh, nice and cold down here in the deep south. Len, it's good to have you with us uh, again. Thank you, Nick, and hello, listeners. I would like to welcome uh, Will. Thank you. This subject especially interests me, Christian and work. Lovely to be here. And uh, I would like to welcome Lija. It's a special opportunity to be involved in, in the study of God's Word. I'm very grateful. And Ken, it's good to have you with us. Thank you, Nick. Always good to be here. I mean, without you, probably we are not going to to have the study because uh, you prepare today and you are our facilitator. Thank you for uh, putting together all these thoughts, you know, and looking forward for the study. I will just hand it to you, Ken. Thank you, Nick. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another interesting topic this week, the Christian and work. Work for some people is a boring job where they go to every day to earn an income to pay bills and put food on the table, pay the rent or maybe a mortgage. For others, work is a means to an end for things they would like to own. But for, but work for some is an exciting opportunity to reach new goals and aim for the stars. Income is secondary product. These people love what they do and usually excel in their chosen profession. They love learning, love spending time at work, and often work more hours than what they are paid for, because they are not doing it for the money, because they love the job. These people usually are the ones who get promoted in the workforce. But before we look into what the Bible has to say about work, let us start with a word of prayer. Leachie, would you like to open with this? Thank you. Yes, thank you. Glorious Father in heaven, thank you so much for this opportunity to be involved in um, the study of your holy word. Father, thank you so much that you are educating us in order to become holy as you are holy. Please, Father, in this moment, bless us with your Holy Spirit and um, speak to us, lead us, teach us, and guide us to understand your word and apply it in our lives, to understand the work that you teach us to uh, be involved in our lives on this earth. Father, thank you so much for everything. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. Thank you, Leitcha. Anil, can you remember what work meant to you and how you felt about it when you first started working and then when you were older? Len, what's your thoughts? When I was 10 years of age, my father was helping his brother-in-law, who was a farmer in the Spalding region, to sew bags that was the days before bulk handling. 
And I went with him and we spent our days out in the middle of a paddock and I used to thread the needles with the uh, twine. And I remember saying on one occasion, because it was hot, it was dusty, there were flies, there was no shade, and I said, I hate work. However, I didn't actually really mean it because I've been working the rest of my life. And if I don't have something to do, to be honest, I feel all out of sorts. Work is good for me. Any other members would like to add something to that? My father was a builder, and one of the tasks that he always assigned me was to pick up all the spent nails and go through them and straighten them out so that he could use them again. <laughs> and uh, I remember trying to straighten those nails out and oftentimes missing the nail but hitting my finger, and I absolutely despised work. I hated going out to work with Dad. I uh, I didn't enjoy work until I uh, I was a student, and... Uh, and uh, just the novelty of being able to own your own car all of a sudden provided an incentive for work. And so I went out fruit picking. The Riverland was my destination, picking grapes during the day, working in the cannery at night, anything just to save up enough money to buy that first car. Very good. Anyone else? Brenton? My first job, incidentally, was very different from either Lens or um, Murrick's. My first job was working in what was known then as the Motor Registry Department or the Motor Vehicles Department. And I worked on counters serving uh, clients. I also had to learn a whole heap of codes. Every car had a code. I do remember I think Holden's had 041. I think Ford's were 031. Every model of car represented on the Australian market had a code and it was handy to... Um, remember those codes because you had to fill in all the paperwork in regard to registration. Um, I met some very interesting people, um, Ken, during my time in that department. And uh, whilst I didn't learn a trade, and I do regret that, um, it helped me to realise that um, when I compared it with some people that I knew, having a job and being occupied was much better than the alternative. Uh, there are so many people around these days who are second and third generation unemployed and uh, trying to fill their days with practical uh, things is, um, is very, very difficult. But you know what? It's an antidote. To a large degree, work is an antidote towards getting into trouble. Peter, you wanted to add something? Yes. To me, the first job was very exciting. I was working in the office and uh, my job was very... Interesting. I was working as a secretary of a big company, the tractor factory in the Romania, and it was very busy and very exciting. The problem is that I could not go forth with my job because I had to work on Sabbath. And I stood up for my belief and uh, I said, sorry, I don't, I, I, I can't go forth with my work. And um, they asked me if they can pay me more. Uh, in order to stay at work because they needed me, but there was nothing that I, c I could do. I didn't want to work on Sabbath, so I had to leave the work, but it was very exciting. Oh, that's like a really good story. Even though work for many of us, it's in different forms. Uh, myself, I grew up at the farm, and when I start working, 
I was asked to do jobs because uh, everyone has to do something at the farm. I remember when I was about six years old, I had to cut grass manually, you know, uh, with, uh, with the men of the village. And that was not easy, six years old, or looking after the, the sheep because we were raising sheep back home. I believe, uh, looking back now, even though I didn't like it at that time, but I believe that was a great foundation for the rest of my life, that I, uh, I was asked to work on early age, because many people today, they can turn 30, 40, and still don't like to work. Right. Pal, where did work first come from, and why do you think this was... Well, I would like to say this, that I think work is God-ordained. One has to consider the difference between what is work and what is active recreation. And uh, work seems to be where it has some positive outcome, although certain recreations may have a positive outcome. But it seems that the best can be when your recreation is your work. But it's God-ordained because God could see that people, especially men, are very much fulfilled in doing something useful. And do, do we have any evidence of this in the Bible then? Well, we do. We go back to the book of Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, and this is after God had created the world, and it says in verse 15 of chapter 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Now, I don't exactly know what he did because it seems to me that this was an absolutely beautiful place. But, you know, after sin came into the world, that wasn't the end of man's work. In fact, that's when it increased. His workload increased. And we read in Genesis chapter 3 where God said in verse 17, God said, Cursed, it, cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. So now there was a difference. Instead of just caring for the garden, man had to work hard in order to raise fruit and vegetables and grains in order to sustain life. Very good. Brenton? Just an interesting point on what Len has said. Uh, Genesis 2.15, my version says, he put man in the garden to tend and keep it. The Hebrew word is shamar, S-H-A-M-A-R. It means to protect, to hold fast, to look after. Now, intrinsic, I believe, Ken, in, in that comment is that even though the world at this point was perfect because there had been sin and rebellion in heaven and no doubt Adam and Eve had been warned about uh, Satan being around, um, part of their work appears to me to be, even though it was perfect, they were to protect what God had made. What God had made was perfect and their role was to maintain that perfection through maintenance, if you will. And, of course, as Len has pointed out in Genesis chapter 3, it changed completely. From then on, it was just hard slog to uh, make a living from earth, which was not willing to give um, 
what it had normally given when it was in its perfect and edenic state. That's very interesting. Panel, what are some of the advantages of having a job and working? Well, through my working life, which hasn't yet stopped, it's been necessary to work in order to live. That's the primary thing. If if we didn't need to live and eat and pay the bills, well, there probably wouldn't be the need to work. But that's the primary thing. But there are other things too. Work can be very fulfilling, particularly when you're doing something that requires a bit of ingenuity and so on. That can be very satisfying. And uh, you learn things. and You meet people at your workplace, make friends. And if you can save a bit and put it away, you work in order for your retirement when you don't need to work so much anymore. So there are good advantages in working. Marek, did you want to add something? Very much leads to our self-esteem, the way we feel about ourselves, being able to be productive, to uh, see some outcome to our labours, to our efforts, exceptionally important. Sometimes our identity is linked to our work. You know, we refer to someone being a a doctor or an architect or a builder or a teacher or a minister, very much associated with the focus of our work. Uh, I do feel for people who uh, seek work and are unable to find work, uh, we know that the, uh, the level of depression is exceptionally high among people who are unemployed. Uh, so work does add a lot of meaning to our life and I think it's essential for our existence. Will, you wanted to add something? You know, I think that if we as human beings were left to craft Eden or create a new earth, as it were, respectfully said, probably our first attempt or our first thought might be to make it a place of blissful, idle pleasure. <laughs> we certainly wouldn't think of... Uh, putting work into the spectrum at all. But I think that uh, God intended that work should be a source of happiness and development. And, you know, have you ever thought about it, that work is a safeguard against temptation? Yes. It's discipline, places a check on our self-indulgence and promotes industry, purity and firmness. And I think part of God's great plan of work fits perfectly with the recovery from the fall. Work is good for us. Uh, Idleness is absolutely no good. You know, there would be less, there would be less crime if uh, everybody was kept busy with wholesome labor. Uh, That's an interesting point, uh, Will, and I think I I fall into the same uh, category as Len. I love doing stuff and since we've retired, we're busier than ever. And one of my passions is my vehicle, cars, which I respect, whichever one I have. And I never get enough time to do work, work to it because I'm always busy doing other stuff. Mm-hmm. One of the things that uh, I loved about work uh, is knowledge. And I know when I started my apprenticeship, thing, I was so excited to go to work and be always learning. And it's one of those things you never, ever stop learning. And I absolutely enjoy that. Lane, in Ecclesiastics, there's uh, an interesting passage. Would you like to read that for us? Yes. Well, it actually summarises some of the things we've been talking about. 
I'm reading from the um, NIV version of the Bible, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. And this is coming from the wise man, Solomon. He said, I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in his toil. And then there's a little added on comment. He says, this is the gift of God. So it's already been said that work is a good thing, not a bad thing. And it has many benefits. A couple are listed here for men to be or people to be happy and do good and that they may eat and drink and find satisfaction. Oh, it's very interesting. We can see that work is a gift from God for mankind. Did God give us any other instructions regarding work? Mark, would you like to answer that one? Absolutely. I think God made every provision for us to maintain a certain balance in life. And so it's fascinating when we look at the uh, commandments, uh, particularly the fourth commandment where God says, remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Now, the meaning of the Sabbath is to cease from labor, to stop, to rest. God specifically said six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You know, it's just wonderful to see what provision God has made to ensure we don't get trapped in pursuing material gain, forgetting the significance of all other things. And so here not only does he ask us to cease, but to ensure that we don't overutilize the labor of other people, not even animals. He looks after the animal as much as he does uh, human beings and instructs us to ensure that all have the necessary rest. That's very interesting. We haven't time to get into it today, but he also did mention in another section where even the lamb gets a rest as well. Something hmm. Something else, Lenny, you wanted to add something? Yes, apart from uh, what Merrick was saying, or perhaps I should say to add to it, this statement about keeping the Sabbath is actually a statement about human rights and animal rights. Mm -hmm. Yes, it says you mustn't expect anybody else to do what you will not do on the Sabbath. Uh, no other person, nor your animals. So it's a statement of human and animal rights as well. Looking at it from a slightly different perspective, uh, each Sabbath when we worship, we're worshipping a God whose work is complete. If you stop and think about our work, our work never seems to be complete. So each Sabbath we're reminded when we worship God on that day that his work was complete because at the end of Genesis 1, he said, uh, at the end of the sixth day, behold, everything he had made was very good. 
and God rested on the seventh day. It's a constant reminder, Ken, that in our own lives, work is never complete. Let me use an example as quickly as I can. Lurleen and I and my brother-in-law and sister-in-law went to Spain in 2019. We went to uh, Barcelona to a cathedral called the uh, Sagrida Familia, which means sacred family. Um, they started building this cathedral in 1926. They're still working on it, and they hope to have it finished by 2026. Um, when you go into this cathedral, it is awe-inspiring, but it's unfinished. Every Sabbath, um, not only do we have, as Len says, a contract regarding the rest of people and the rest of animals, we are constantly reminded that God can add nothing to his creation. It's perfect and we can rest in that perfection. You know what? That gives us a certain sense of calmness and a certain sense of peace. That's amazing. Nick, you wanted to add something? Yeah, I just want to, again, from another angle, uh, to, to tackle this. Um, you know, we are uh, learning in this uh, set of studies about education. Now, what Len and Marek and Brent and you all point out, all those are important, very good things to uh, not to impose on other people or to or animals. But actually, we are looking from the perspective of education. And when you talk about work or rest, this was entrusted to our parents, for example, at the beginning, you know, to Adam and Eve, and then even to the church that we should educate people. We should educate our children what to do and what not to do. Because it's not just to not to enforce, that's very well, very important, but we have a responsibility of educating people. And I believe this is the, the key point in, the, in this context of uh, work and rest. Very good point there. We see that God introduced work to mankind and set a time frame for his work, which was six days. So apart from not working, why did God tell him to have a day off? Mark? Well, the, the whole Exodus story occurs in the context of God liberating and delivering an oppressed people who were basically... Uh, in slavery, not even knowing what rest meant. And, uh, and so when God says, remember the Sabbath, he wants people to go back to the ideal that God created of having a time, a time of communion, uh, a time for, uh, for their social life and so forth. And, uh, I think, I think this has real meaning and re relevance for us today because even though we may not be oppressed in terms of, uh, of, of slavery and so forth, but busyness today is a form of oppression. It's a kind of a violence uh, where we simply do not have the time or do not take the time to reflect on the meaning of life. We, uh, we have very little time to commune with God. And so where it was given, the commandment was given in the context of deliverance from oppression. Today, the Sabbath is a form of deliverance where we are set free from the 
violence of busyness, of overworking, where God wants us to to be able to return to a more balanced existence where we balance the, the physical labor with, with, with the social issues, with the spiritual, the emotional needs, etc. So, uh, so I think that commandment is as relevant to us today as it was back in the days of Exodus. That's a very good way to put that. Maurice, Leanne, you wanted to add to that? Well, I think God has built into human beings a cycle, a seven-day cycle. Yes. And uh, if we break that cycle by working all the time, we become less efficient. Now, I can give a true-life example from my own experience. I was running a business. I had some mechanics working for me, and some of those mechanics used to do what they call freelancing on the weekend. They would fix up other people's cars for them. They would get to work on Monday morning, and they were pooped. They were just worn out, whereas I kept the Sabbath, and only occasionally would I open up the business on Sunday. On Monday morning, I was fresh. They were not. So it's uh, God built into us not only the need to worship and, and to appreciate him, but also for our own good. That's very good. And did God give or leave us an example to follow? Len, would you like to answer that one? Well, of course he did, because Jesus, well, he kept the Sabbath. We're told that he uh, kept the Sabbath as his, the Bible says, as his custom was. But also he took time out from working because his was a very demanding situation where people were coming to him for healing or forgiveness and things like that. So Jesus took time out. And this is a, another thing. With work, you can get so involved that you can't actually um, get time to observe what's going on around. You don't get time to smell the roses. And you need to smell the roses now and again. Otherwise, you'll be worn out. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, is the old saying. Uh, Mark, did you want to add to that? Well, yes, yes. You know, in addition to Christ uh, resting on the Sabbath day, oftentimes he would rise early in the morning for moments of prayer and meditation before he would commence his work. But then when he commenced his ministry, his ministry was so busy, so energy demanding, that there were times when we know from reading the Gospel of Mark they didn't have time to even enjoy a meal. And so he would call his disciples aside to take time for rest and to enjoy a meal together. Now, there in the busyness of life in his ministry, Christ created time, set you know, that as a priority to rest and to draw aside and, and spend time with his disciples and others. Thank you, Brenton. Uh, just quickly, in Mark 6, verse 3, uh, we find Jesus back in his hometown, Nazareth. And it says in verse 2, And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogues, or the synagogue, and many hearing were astonished, 
saying, where did this uh, man get these things? Then they start to allude to the fact that he was simply a carpenter. What I find interesting about this text in relationship to education and the Sabbath is that he was doing exactly what the Sabbath, I believe, should also be used for. That is, for educational purposes. In the Jewish culture, he would have read a portion of scripture and then he would have had to explain it. Now, can you imagine being in church, Ken, on a Sabbath morning where the one who created everything and who was the word is explaining the word? That would be an exciting place to be. And that's what he was doing. I would like to say that the rest of the Sabbath, it's a real blessing because when the sunset comes, you just switch off from the rest of the stress and uh, you you just go into a relaxing mode and uh, you relax, reflect, you feel physical, the physical rest taking place, emotional rest, psychological, and not the last one is the spiritual rest. You meet with God in a different way that you meet with God in the other days of the week because your mind is clear, is rested, is at peace, and you can connect with God in a different way, also with your families and the other people if you go to to church. And it's a different, it's sanctified by the Lord, it's it's blessed by the Lord. So it's a different rest. That's very true. Nick, you wanted to add to that? Just quickly, I want to also uh, mention what in, along the line what uh, Marek was just uh, bringing up there, saying that Jesus and his disciples, they were so busy that sometimes hardly have time for themselves. Now, I like to, to parallel a little bit here for us all as Christians. Sometimes we can uh, think that we have the, all the time in the world in terms of preparing people for the second coming of Jesus Christ. But in the Bible says that, you know, we should work constantly. And I like to stress out this point because we can take it casually, too casually sometimes, do all other things which we want, which we like, take pleasure, uh, rest and all those things, and forgetting about the emergency we are living in, the time to share the good news, the gospel with the dying world. I believe this is very important and relevant for the time we live in. That's so very true. We're going to look at a few other Bible verses just quickly that mention working with hands. Will, would you like to start that off in Deuteronomy? Yes, let me read uh, um, Deuteronomy 16, verse 15. For seven days celebrate the festival of the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. The Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands and your joy will be complete. God will actually help us by if we stay um, faithful and work. You know, I I think here, uh, Ken, of uh, Paul. Paul, when he went to see uh, Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth, it says in Acts 18, verse 3, Paul went to see them, 
And because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. And later on in Acts 20, he actually um, expresses his joy of being able to have worked with his hands. He says, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, it is more blessed to give uh, than to receive. You know, there's a lot in this for me, Ken. Stay busy, looking at your, uh, keeping your hands busy with good things, learning a trade, learning to be practical, and then uh, using those practical abilities to help other people as well. Very good. Brenton, you're going to share something in Ecclesiastes with us? Uh, from Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10, it says the following, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. We learn a couple of things from that verse, Ken. I believe one of the things we learn is that here and now is the opportunity for us to um, to do um, our very best in whatever vocation in life we are called upon to do. Solomon is actually saying here that once you die, there is no further opportunity to do anything. So do the very best you can while you have the opportunity to do it. I'm reminded, uh, Ken, of a story that we all know well. Not that long ago, uh, there was a picture in the theatres called uh, Hacksaw Ridge, uh, which was about a guy called Desmond Doss. Now, why do I bring this into this conversation? Because one of the things that struck me about that film was this. He commented when he was wounded and they were evacuating him, he commented that he would have liked to have saved just one more. Just one more. Uh, they believe between 75 and 100 men were saved by this man, dragging them to the edge of the cliff and lowering them over the edge. In other words, Solomon is saying, I believe, use the time that God has given you. That's this earth. That's the here and now. Use it wisely. Use it to the very best of your ability. Be content with what you produce. And I think there's another aspect that we haven't even touched on. That's the aspect of competition. Now, it's very interesting that in God's original plan, I believe that he intended man to um, actually be content with the works of his own hands rather than comparing himself with others. So uh, I think this verse, to me, says what you've got to do now, do it well. Do it to the very best of your ability and be satisfied with it. Very good. Uh, Will, Nan Leacher? I've been thinking of a text in um, Psalm 123, verse 2. Interestingly, it says, As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, and as the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to you, the Lord our God, until he shows us mercy. You know, an interesting comparison here, um, watching, learning the practical skills, the slave looking at the hand of the master, the female slave looking at the hand of a mistress, 
And then the attention turned to looking at the Lord our God. He intended work. He intended that the hand should be busy, busy doing good things. And then, of course, through that, it, into, it, it hints here that he will be showing us his mercy. Nietzsche, you wanted to add to that? I have a, a little experience as I was little and my mom was teaching me to do things and chores around the house. She was teaching me that whatever I do around me to do perfect, to do it with all my, to do my best in everything I do, that I, I, I do it for the Lord. And that one, it got stuck to me for the rest of my life. That even now when I'm doing things to myself or to others, I put in, my, in that one the best and I became a perfectionist in everything I do. So we know that God ex- expects us always to perform at our best, putting our talents, skills, time and uh, education to good use for great causes. Eric, you wanted to add to that as well? Very much along the same line that Lydia has, uh, has just mentioned. It's, uh, it's uh, wonderful to see how much emphasis the Bible places on vocational excellence. Mm. Not only do we see emphasis on spiritual growth and moral excellence, but we also see the emphasis on vocational uh, excellence, very much a part of character development. God wants us to do the best that we can under whatever circumstances we might find ourselves. And Mark, you wanted to add something as well in Proverbs regarding not working very good. <laughs> right, there's an interesting text in Proverbs 21 and verse 25. It says the sluggard, which means the lazy person, his craving will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. A few texts before that in, uh, in verse 17, we also read... He who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will never be rich. You know, it's an interesting emphasis here. And I I do feel sorry for the fact that for some people, the most effort and work that they will ever do is to operate a remote control or a game box controller. You know, it's, it's unfortunate because it's associated with obesity. It's associated with lack of mental development, the dulling of the mind and so forth. God gave us work for good reason. And whether it's gardening, whether it's carpentry, whether it's steelwork, whatever it might be, or whether it's uh, uh, people-related professions, helping professions, it's there for a specific reason. And the person who put his heart to it, uh, God will bless and, and God will prosper. Very good. Well, not only that, But um, the Bible talks about doing work that's totally useless because in Isaiah chapter 44 and Jeremiah chapter 1, I'll read from Jeremiah and I'll explain a bit more. Jeremiah 1.16, God says, I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods and worshipping what their hands have made. Now, this is amplified further in Isaiah chapter 44, where it talks about somebody cutting down a tree, taking some of that tree and and burning it to keep themselves warm and cook their food, and another part of that same tree carving it into an idol and worshipping it. 
And God says, you've got things all mixed up. This is um, false worship. Worshipping something that you've constructed with your hands is not elevating you, it's debasing you. And God condemns that kind of thing. So when we work, we should work to a good rather than a futile end. As was mentioned a bit uh, earlier, that uh, vocational excellence is important in all aspects. Now, Jesus himself was recognized as the carpenter or the son of the Joseph, who was a carpenter. I believe that uh, tells us something, that he was not just a, a mediocre carpenter. I believe he was a very good carpenter to be known in the community. Also, Jesus was recognized and known as a good teacher. He was not only a skilled man, like a tradesman, but he was also a teacher. And I believe in if we are going to look, uh, Ken, in um, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14, and it says, And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. To be able to deliver a message that the whole world will hear it, will be aware of it, requires some effort, requires action, requires work. And uh, also, if I look in, um, in Matthew 28, verse 19, and read this, Therefore... Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you all the way, even to the end of the age. This is a great promise from God and also a big expectation that we as um, children of God, as disciples, as followers of God, will do this work with uh, all our ability and God will bless us with the ability we need to do this. We should never say, I am not skilled, or I'm not worthy, or I'm not uh, um, qualified in this work. Because when God sends you, when God sends us, he knows what we are capable of. Well, this is the greatest work that anybody can be involved in. And the interesting thing is, it is open, no, perhaps I should say um, incumbent on, all Christians to be involved in this work. Paul gives some counsel in Second Timothy 4, verse 2, which, uh, Ken, I would like to take the opportunity to read. Paul was awaiting execution. He was in prison for the final time. And in uh, appealing to his son in the faith, Timothy, he says this, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and teaching. 
what Paul is saying, the charge, this is not a suggestion, this is a charge that he's giving to his young co-worker. And it ties in with chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, where it talks about what the last days will be like, Ken. Along with giving the gospel, we must make sure that the gospel that we're giving to people is exactly the gospel that the Bible presents. And because Paul warns Timothy in chapter 3 that the people will have a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Our greatest need today for ourselves and also for our listeners is to have the true godliness that Jesus wants us to have. That godliness is found in the word of God, it's found in prayer, and it's found in sharing. We actually grow, we grow by sharing, Ken, with others. I believe that as we share our faith with others, some people challenge us, other people are convinced, other people are um, studying it for themselves. But in all cases, this form of work, uh, the work of spreading the gospel, it helps us to come closer and closer to Jesus. We understand more and more what it was like when he was working here on earth. And I think this is one of the greatest forms, the greatest stimuluses, if you will, towards Christian development and character development. Well, we can certainly see that work is very important. My panel, we know that there are many people who are shy and not keen to chat with people, especially about Jesus. How can they overcome this, Leecher? We have a verse in Second um, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. So one person's work and spirituality are inseparable. Christianity is not like a garment that you can put it on or take it off as one changes moods or passes through different phases of life. But instead, Christianity creates a new being who manifests himself or herself in every dimensions of life, including work. So through my connection with Christ as human beings, I have to function as believers in all aspects of my lives. So I have to think, if I have a connection with the Lord, I'm becoming a new creation. And if I receive blessings from the Lord and I have a happy connection with the Lord, there's no impossibility not to share with others around me because people around me will see my spirituality every day of my life through the tasks that I'm doing in my life. And that's the impression that I leave on themselves every step of the way. Nick, you wanted to add to that? Yeah, just uh, briefly uh, what Ligia was saying, that uh, in the end, we cannot say... um, things which we, we share, you know, because that's reality, uh, that we may not like this or that, you know, we may not like to go into work, but we have to, because we have to pay the bills. I think, um, as Lija just said, when you are a newborn Christian, you'll do everything, including work, with all your uh, passion, with all your um, heart. And uh, because if we fail into doing that, even in daily on daily basis, we may do the same thing on a spiritual level. I mean, uh, sometimes I heard Christians that they are going to sh- do the work of God because they have to do it, not because uh, it's a, 
a joy to do it because you're enjoying doing it. Uh, it's an honor to serve the master, Lord Jesus Christ. And yeah, this, I think it's, uh, it's very, very important what Ligia was sharing. This is like a, a light globe. When the light globe is connected into the power, it shines. So if I'm connected with Jesus, with Lord every day, that's impossible, my light not to shine around me. So I don't need to do any efforts. It's just simple. It comes natural. Thank you, Leitcher. Will you going to share something with us? You know, when uh, the soul meets Jesus, there's a wonderful thing that happens. Um, Ezekiel 11, verses 19 and 20 says, I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them. And I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh. I'd like to say that uh, the compulsion to share Jesus Christ, we may be severely limited with intellectual or physical disability, not to be able to become on the, to join the frontline workers uh, sharing the gospel. And I want to just create a balance here, if I may. Many will act a supportive role. I recall that, and if I may just read four texts, in 1 Samuel 30, verse from verse 21, it tells the story that David came with 200 men who had been so weary that they could not uh, follow David and uh, whom they had also made to stay at the brook Besor. So these men weren't able, physical um, exhaustion, they weren't able to go with David. So they went out to meet David, to meet the people who were with him after the battle, you see. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and the worthless men in the army, or those that went with David, answered and said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. David's answer is very interesting. My brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter? And in this part, but as his, but as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall be his part who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. So it was that from that day forward, he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel to this day. Just to conclude, the soldiers who stayed back with the supplies were every bit part of God's, of David's army as the troop who fought on the front lines with, through a day-long battle. In the same way, those who support missionaries and the work of God financially and with their prayers are every bit a missionary as those who go out to the front lines and put their physical bodies to the, wish, the mission. And I think that could really be summed up by saying love one another. Ian, would you like to finish off as we're running out of time with a verse from Romans? Yes, Romans chapter 12. And verses 6 to 8 is an exhortation for people involved in the work of spreading the gospel. It says, We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him prophesy. 
If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. In other words, we must not all expect others to do the things that we might be able to do, nor vice versa. We do what God has enabled us to do, to do it well. For example, my wife says, I can witness through hospitality, and that's why we often have people home at our place. I'm different. I have different uh, skill set. But God says, let everybody do according to the abilities that they have or are given. Ken, just on uh, that one, I believe what um, Brenton was uh, sharing uh, a bit earlier, that we should not look at others and then be moved or motivated to do things. We should look at Jesus, hear the call from God, from Jesus, and do what we are called to do. And as Will was sharing from that great passage in the Bible, that uh, we are working as a team, we are uh, part of the body, and uh, we should not disconsider any parts of this body of Christ. We should work together, but at the same time, uh, we, we need to help each other and help the parts of the body which are maybe a little bit weaker or uh, enabled to, to do certain things. Uh, and uh, that's, I believe, a great uh, lesson to, to learn in terms of um, how to profess, how to use uh, the, the blessings which God gave us through physical work to spiritual involvement also. Thank you, Nick. Well, listeners, we've just about run out of time again. I hope you find this week's study interesting and helpful. I'm sure many of you were surprised to learn that it was God who introduced work to mankind and set guidelines around it. As we can see week by week, God has given wisdom and instruction for all areas of our life. We just need to search it out in the Word. And this week, as we've looked into work, as we've seen, there's two aspects of work for God. There's the physical work and there's the spiritual work, and they both must be going hand in hand with each other. I'd just like to ask Marek to end with a prayer. Our Heavenly Father, today we've considered the role of work in the educational system. We pray that you will help us to gain a proper perspective on work and its blessings. We know that you are the best example that we can turn to. You created the world, and then when you had completed all of your work, you rested on the seventh day, the Sabbath. Lord, may we get that balance right. May we gratefully accept whatever work there is to be done and do it to the best of our ability whether it's working with the soil and gaining the benefits and the therapy associated with the work, whether it's constructing, working with wood and metal and other objects, we pray, dear Lord, that all that we do in our work will be focused on serving others, on being a blessing to others, and most of all, when our work is completed, that we will not seek to take credit for it, but we will give all credit to you. You have blessed us with the opportunity to work. You have taught us how to go about our work. You have asked us to do everything to the best of our ability. Lord, 
this requires education, it requires training, it requires a, a balanced perspective, so we pray that your spirit will help us to gain that. And we thank you again for all that is contained in your word, teaching us on so many of these practical aspects. Bless us now as we go. Bless our listeners. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, panel, for uh, all your input. Uh, I believe this was a a great uh, sharing time. And thank you, listener, for uh, joining us um, today. I will encourage you to join us again next time when we are going to uh, look a little bit more into the Sabbath rest, but particularly experiencing and living the character of God. That's our next uh, uh, Bible study. Until then, may God richly bless you and continue to walk in the footsteps of Jesus.